Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning. I'm, Nathan, I'm sorry what your brother did to you. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm just excited because I don't have a lot of, I, you know, it's vital what I want to say to you. But it's not a, just a collection of words, but I believe it's a message that needs to be passed down. It's like a good runner. And if you're going to do relay running, believe it or not, I used to run relays and track in high school. And the most important thing was learning to, the, the thing we learned more than anything is how to pass the baton to the next person in the relay. And so, so when I look at this city, you know, you can look at cities all across, um, all across the South. And basically what they all deal with is pride, prejudice, and poverty. And when you look at it, it's some, some cities are railroad track cities. Some people, you know, it's like, or this is, you know, this street and on this side of the street or whatever it may be. And I believe this is it. I believe God has something more than just us dealing with things. And I believe that we have to build generationally. And, you know, fathers, like Zach said, fathers passing to their sons. And, and I don't think it's just physical sons or daughters. It's, it's spiritual sons and daughters that you pass that along to. And, you know, and I, and, and, and I know that I see, biz, I see not only God doing that, but I see business owners that really begin to say, you know what, I, I, it's important what we do as businesses in our community and how we build the kingdom of God. And, and you know, before we were starting out there, I was talking to uh, Joey and Chuck out there, and we were just talking, just having a conversation out in the front. And he goes, you know, since I've been here, they were just talking, I'm closer to people here in my church and my family because if I call my family and tell them what I'm going through, they know everything about me. But it don't, it's not for my benefit. It's like, oh, did you hear the latest gossip? And, you know, the most important thing is that they have family here they feel like you can share with. And so, you know, I want to, you know, let me just kind of, you know, when I first came, I wanted to come to Crowley originally. And, as, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to start a church here, but we had someone here that we wanted to honor, my pastor and I. We wanted to honor it until they left or retired or went on to be with the Lord. We weren't going to start a campus. And when they did, we just knew that it was God's timing. And I can look back in this and, and um, you know, I look, I want to, can you throw that picture up that I have that I brought? Let me just see if you can throw that up on the screen, kind of give you a little bit of an idea. Can y'all find that just real quick? Zach, y'all find that? Just throw that up there. It's, I don't know if you know who that good looking guy is. That's me. And that's Zachary. And every morning when he was about, till he was about three years old. I took him, there's an alley right here. There's an alley. We used to have a little red wagon. And in that little alley, I told him, I said, you know, it's, it's sad. I have to make a confession. But for all my children, my wife and I have six children, but I probably prayed for him more than all of them because it was my first. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, you know everything. Lord, you know, you just pray all these different things over them. And, and to see that, you know, to say that I'm not proud of my son, but when we came here, I thought, you know, who, who better else than to, trust my son at 28 when he first came here and then Claire who's like my daughter I mean I've known Claire since you were 13 14 how 12 oh Jesus and but she was she looked like she when she was 12 she looked like she looks right now as I when Zach married her Pastor Jacob and I go it's like a it's like a boy marrying a woman and uh but just to see you know and it's like so many times we have different things that we just think about you know, for our children, every one of my children are here and those that live other places. I, my wife and I had, a, you know, we felt like God gave us a word for every one of them. And I know that, you know, and as I look at how does God build? And this, I was going to tell you something. If you don't have notes or if you have a pen or a pencil, this, one I want, this is how God builds. 
God builds first through revelation. Revelationally. What do you mean, Pastor? Sometimes God has to speak to us and give us a word. You know, our you know, circumstances. It's like a revelation. Or open our eyes to begin to see things like we need to see them. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And we begin to see that. And sometimes we don't get the revelation till we go through tribulation in our life. Or go to the tri- and sometimes we go through the tribulation and go, oh, now I got the revelation. And, uh, and I know that in, 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 in the midst of all of that, we also, you know, what I love about our churches, we have life groups, freedom groups, and all that. That's where you build relationally. And it's so important that you learn to build relations. You get to know people. You get to hang out with people. Get to see real people that go through real things and really trusting God and working things together. And the next thing that we don't see a lot, and you look in our society, it's to build the third way is we build generationally. We pass it down. When you look at churches in America, when I think about the latest statistic in pastors in America, over 1,500 pastors resign and quit the ministry every month. Think about that. There are churches that are without, pa- excuse me, without pastors. And why is that? Because they never learn to pass the baton. There are, pastors, there, there are churches that hire a guy and they don't know who he is and he's there for a little moment and a little time and then once he's kind of figured out what he's going to do, he moves to another city. And what we, what we felt is that, you know, we want to build for a lifetime. We want to build in the community. We, don't, we want to affect our community. Are y'all with me? And we want to build in our community in such a way that we can have effect, that Jesus can have effect. What, you know, what if I told you you could leave something behind? And, and, and so it's not material things, but it's what Zach said earlier. It's a legacy, something that will outlive you. You know, what, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about this church. But I'm talking about what happens is when you meet Jesus Christ in an incredible, you have a revelation of who Jesus is, guess what? All of a sudden, you learn to pick different friends. You learn to build differently. You learn to go, you know what? There are things that are priorities in my life that I can't just continue to live and let that slide. And so a church that desires to leave a legacy that honors Jesus and sees people that have been 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 captivated or uh, by other things or been a slave to things that all of a sudden their lives are free and we you know one of our mottos is reaching people building lives a church where everyone can come to it doesn't matter what color your hair is it doesn't matter what your background is it doesn't matter if you're on on the west side of the Nepeke river or the west side of your mama was mama Touchet and was married to you know to the leblancs and you know there was some bad leblancs you know what i mean it doesn't matter where you come from the most important thing is, is that, you know, a church where you can raise your family. And yeah, I look at little kids and, it, it, you know, yesterday I was coming back from a hunt and there's a little kid in our church and, at the Jennings campus and I, and I was in there and he looks at me and, and like, I'm one of his heroes. His brother, his, his brother, his daddy actually committed suicide and his grandmother's raising him. His name's Zach, you know, and he sees me and he's eating some beignets and I go, Ooh, Zach, those are some beignets. Hey, Pastor Bubba gives me five. And it's like you don't realize the impact that you can have on people's lives and leave a legacy. Are you hearing me? And so one day, one day, one day, one day I'll be, instead of Pastor Bubba, I'll be Papa Bubba. To everybody here, or Papa Bubba to everybody here. I don't know. But, you know, we're called to leave a legacy. You must think about beyond today, and you got to think about the future. Let me, let me just tell you about a generation that abandoned Jesus, abandoned God, and, and, and the consequences that had on their kids. So if you go with me, uh, well, before I go there, how many of you here are parents? Come on. I want to see how many parents we have, okay? How many of you, you may, I'm not a parent yet, but I want to be a parent. Come on. 
Anybody like that? Okay, you're making plans. And then Mike and Megan, I don't know, just, just whatever, yeah, the water. But anyway, and, uh, but how many of you got kids and you'd like to trade them in for some new children? Okay, put your hand down. Don't do that. But what happens is, you know, and it's like, and, and see, I want to ask you this question. How many of you would define success for the next generation if you fast forward at 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? A culture says, you know, and this is what it says, you know, how, what would success look like? Raising children. Culture says, and it's no wrong answer, and it's raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. And that's okay. But I, I want to go a little bit further. How about if we raise kids that are godly, that can learn to hear the voice of God, watch their mom and dad, you know, make a difference. They had a, a guy post on Facebook at our church, one of, uh, one of the campuses, and he said, my son came to me, and he said, Daddy, I'm reading my Bible every night because I see you starting to do it. So you just never know what, what, how many of you know we got little eyes watching us? They don't, they don't, they don't do everything we say. They just, they mimic everything we do though. And see, Judges, and that's why I want to go Judges in the Old Testament. It's after Joshua. There's four verses I'm going to read right there. After Joshua sent, uh, sent the people away. Now Joshua, let me give you a little bit. He was actually the understudy of Moses. And Moses had gone on to be with the Lord. And Joshua was in there conquering all the promised land that God had promised them. And what's happening is getting to the place where all the people that had conquered the promised land, they're starting to die. And what happens is you begin to see that they really didn't pass on what they really needed to pass on to the children and be able to continue to do what they, God had told them to do. And after Joshua sent the people away, each, each uh, of the tribes left to take possession of land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at 110. I mean, you know, that's a long time to live. And say, they buried him in the land he had been allocated in Timothy, Syrah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh, uh, after the generation died. Another generation, look at what it says, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things God had done them most most important thing we can do as adults is impart spiritual life to the next generation and what does that look like if, if you let me just if your kids have more than you did and you had but they don't have Jesus the end doesn't matter you see how many of you remember let me just how many of you remember these it's called a cassette I actually have the cassette holder my wife, I said, man, baby, do we have any cassettes? And she knew where to go. And she got me this. And so this is before CDs. This is before iTunes, iPods, MP3 players. You know, that's what it is. If you had a friend that had a cassette that you wanted, you had, and they had a dual cassette, that was cool. Because you could take your cassette and bring it to the dual cassette, and you could play it and you record it at the same time. You remember that? I mean, sometimes your friend had a copy of a copy, and maybe you, you had a copy of a copy of a copy. Here's the problem with copying a copy too many times. With every generation of duplication, you, use, you lose the quality. And see what happens, but, but by the time you've recorded numerous songs or copies, all of a sudden, you know what the tape just starts doing? It starts hissing. You can hear the song, but there's a shh in the background. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
And so, don't, you know, some kids are going, what is that? You know, but see, I believe that don't you see the same thing happening with the gospel and the Bible sometimes in our nation? And duplicating from one generation to the next generation, we're losing our clarity. Ronald Reagan, if you voted for him or not, had a great statement. He said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The truth is, you never, you never know what the next, you never know, you know, unless we part, impart something to the next generation, we never know when it can extinct. And see, the church is never more than one generation away from extinction. What do you mean, Pastor Bubba? You know, the values and the morals that, that never more than one generation away from where we are. You see, and you look at, okay, let me just give you one example. You look at sexuality in our country, in the youth culture. They do things in the open that we used to do things in the dark. Are you hearing me? It's one that generation accepts truth. The next generation assumes the truth. The next generation conf- confuses the truth. And then eventually we lose the truth. You see, Judges says after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Bible doesn't say that they didn't know about the Lord. It said it's not the problem of awareness. They just think that we look at the problems in this city, in this region, in this area. And it's not, it's not that people in our city or in this area don't know about Jesus. Come on. It's like they know about Jesus. You can go to a bar in South Louisiana. If you cuss Jesus' name out, you might get pimp slapped. I don't know. We have the fear of God, but sometimes we don't serve him. And it's not because we, it's because we just didn't impart. So we didn't plant campuses in Eunice and Crowley and in Jennings or expand buildings and stuff. Just to, have, just to say we have buildings and we have churches. We want people to experience the real living God. It's not that this generation doesn't know about him. It's that they don't know him. So what do we do about the problem? I'm glad. When I come to Crowley, y'all ask great questions. You see, how do we restore righteousness? What righteousness means is making right, right decisions, right choices. God called this church not to condemn this world, but to change the world. Are you hearing me? He didn't call us to condemn it. He, came, he called us to change it. So there's three challenges I want to give you this morning. The first challenge is this. This generation will not know God if we do not show God. What does that mean? Many of you complain. I've heard people, you know, you know this generation, you know, they, they drink that dope and they smoke that beer. I don't know. I mean, they just, you know, they get mixed up. But what happened, who's going to raise up, you know, whose fault is it that this generation is like it is? Come on. Whose fault? It's ours. And so here's the, here's the thing. Who's going to rise up and show them if not you? Many of you say, I tell my kids to believe in God. Look, you better believe in God. I'm going to beat the fool out of you if you don't believe in God. And here, let me just say this. But they don't believe in God. You can't tell. Look, I can't, can I just let you in on a little secret? People don't do. People, who, people do what people see. Amen? So how do we know him? If we don't show him, we are called to reflect him. It's, it's like this. What is the moon? It's just a reflection of the light from the sun. That's all it is. It's a reflection. All we do, whatever we hang out with, whatever we do, we're just a reflection of what we put in our lives. Come on. How many of you ever had problems and you say, I'm going to stop cussing? Okay, two people. The rest of you, we're praying for you. 
How many of you have had problems sometimes with like an issue in your life? goes, this is the last day. It's it. You know what I mean? And, and then something comes around and goes, well, tomorrow's going to be the last day. Next week. Next month. You know, we keep, we keep putting it off. And so we're called to reflect. You see, you're called to reflect him and to represent him. You only reflect what you, pr- you, 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 you put yourself. See, it's, it's like preaching. I can preach about him. I can give you lip service. But I'm not, if I'm not living it, it has, no, it has no bearing whatsoever. It has no direction. If Zach comes here and he begins to speak to you about a word that God, maybe God's given him or showing or what we need to do as a church or as individuals, if he's not living it, can I tell you something? There's no power behind it. You see, how will we know God is our provider if we don't show that we trust him to our children? How will we know God is a forgiver, you know, if if they don't see you trust him in your finances? I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, in your finances. How do they know that, that God is a forgiver if you have a grudge against your spouse? Come on. I mean, you, you were fighting as you were about to park here, and you know, I'm tired of you, I'm tired of you too. I don't know about we can go to church. Why should we even go to church? I mean, we're fighting with each other, and you see Zach go outside, and you go, hey, and all of a sudden you get healed. Hey! It doesn't matter what we see on the outside. It's who's behind the closed doors. It's who's watching us. Am I making sense here? How, how will they know God is loving if all they see is negativity and bitterness? And they, You know, how will they know God is faithful if they don't ever see you step out in faith and believe God and trust him? How will they know is God worthy to give our lives to if they only see you? I'm sorry, I'm going to step on something. If they only see mom and dad going to church every six weeks. Listen, before I was a pastor, and before my wife was a pastor's wife, my kids went to church every time the doors of the church were open. They, they weren't a choice. They didn't have to do drugs. They were drugged to church. Okay? If I was working 60-plus hours because I had that schedule, or 70, 80 hours a week, and I couldn't make it, then my wife made sure. You see, I, I'm just, do you know that why kids, student ministry is so important here in this church? Because they say 85% of all people under 18, 18 and under, that's the time they give their life to God. And if I'm a fisherman, I'm going to go where the fish are hiding. So let me just tell you something. For everybody you don't see in here this morning that are working with, our, working with the children in the back that you don't see, let me tell you something. The, the people that are doing the most important job right now, and it's really not ministry right now, is the people we don't see ministering to our children. Amen. I was talking to one of the ladies this morning. She was here uh, and she was telling me they had kids. That she goes, she was, I think she's a counselor or your counselor. Just say yes or no. Yeah, your counselor, right? A teacher. And she was doing, we're going to use the word this week is gratitude. And it was crazy. There was three of the kids that go to the Jennings campus. They were in the class and they go, that's our word for the month. And they were going like, well, she goes, what church do you go to? He goes, I forgot. And he goes, you go to my church. We go to our Savior's church. And another one, that's where I go. You know, and it's like, you, can I just tell you? It's called influence. 
influence. It's passing something down. We don't just stuff you with little crackers and red Kool-Aid so you can go home and be hyper and your mom and dad try to put you down for a nap because you got up early. We're not trying to do that. We want to put Jesus in their hearts that they reflect him wherever they go. If it's school, at Walmart, or whatever they do, or with their friends. Amen? See, our Savior's church kids and students, they're passionate about showing who Jesus is. The second thing is this generation doesn't need rules to live by, but a calling to live for. Jesus never lowered the when he invited when he invited people to follow him. Remember, Jesus would say something, you want to follow me? Lose your life. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that look like? You see, you typically get what you ask for with this generation or the standard. I don't know if you heard, but like when when Michelle Obama, nothing against her, when she's changed the school lunch, kids stopped eating lunch because it was healthy. They just introduced chocolate milk again and kids are eating lunch again. I was like, praise God, I'd be doing that. You know what I mean? I, I remember going through cancer. My wife goes, you know what? I got the number one thing to help fight cancer, to help you. And it's called kale. And I'm not going to tell you what it rhymes with or what I thought. But I remember she, she goes, I'm going to make chips and I'm going to do all this. And they put seasoning on it. And I'm like, what's number two? Because <laughs> if I die and I go be with Jesus, I want my taste buds to be like in revival. I don't want my taste buds to die before I die. You see, you typically get what you ask for if you lower the standard. Let's not just tell our kids to be good little boys and little girls, but to be great men and women of God. You know, we had a, a Pastor Obed with us a couple of weeks ago, and they have a girl there that's in our, in our church. And she's like her, her, her brother, um, he has some physical challenges and stuff, and, and um, he's just a sweet boy. And she's, a, she's about 12 years old, and she really loves the Lord. And... And, and Obed looked at her and said, what, do you have, is God, you feel like God's telling you to do anything in the, for the future? She's 12 years old. God has called me to be a missionary. And I looked at Pastor Obed. She's serious. She's not just playing. She's serious. And it's like I look at kids like that. And it's like her mother's a single mom raising up these two children, one that's physically challenged and one that just loves God. And they came over a year and you can see the impact God's having on their life and on their future and what's, 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 what's going to be lived out down the road. Amen? And see, we're only, I just believe that let's not settle, you know, kids don't have sex. You know, instead encourage them, hey, why don't you honor God with your heart and with your body? See, we may, not, we, we may be only one generation of losing the truth, but we're also one generation of changing our world. Amen? And see, I like what Psalm says, and I'm getting closer to that. And he said, now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me. This is David. Oh, Lord, let me proclaim your power to this new generation. Your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Can I, I'm, I believe we're all responsible to fulfill that word in Psalms. It doesn't matter the age, and it doesn't matter the stage where you're at. Because will we be a church who builds for the next generation? Here's the last point. And I believe, I believe there's going to be a moment in this message, and I'm going to share something with you, that God's going to just speak to you.
And I believe you'll be emotionally moved, but I hope that more than being emotionally moved, because emotions are bad leaders. I hope you go beyond emotionally being moved, but being stirred in your heart by the Holy Spirit just speaking to you and say, you know what? Because here's the last point. This next generation needs ordinary people willing to do extraordinary things. In other words, you know what this generation needs? People that are willing to get off their blessed assurance and Jesus is mine and everything's fine. It's about getting off your spiritual booty. And see, and see, I believe is that there's a story in Numbers. You can go to it and read it. It's in chapter 16, verses 46 through 50. There's a story where what happened is God is bringing judgment to the children of Israel after they've come through and they've gone through the promised land. There's a guy named Korah. He begins to, begin, begins to be rebellious, and God literally opens up the earth and swallows 14,700 people. That's like taking Crowley and going, and burping and all of a sudden they see it and there's more people there. And Moses and Aaron are there. And, and Moses looks at Aaron and he says, run. And there was the altar of the Lord. And he said, run and go get the fire on the altar and present it to the Lord. Hurry, run. Here's the problem though. Aaron was 100 years old. How many of you have ever watched a 100-year-old move swiftly? Come on. Go, Aaron. I'm going. Fool, on. You know. And all of a sudden, where he had put the fire, and fire in the Bible many times represents God purifying things. How many of you know when things get heated in life, all of a sudden you begin to check your motives? Come on. Let a bad diagnosis happen. Let something, like some one of your kids, all of a sudden you're crying out to God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And for those that, you know, I never read my Bible, but you let a rescue 911, come on. I heard the two least read books in the, in the world are the Bible, you can have it on your table, and the owner's manual of your car, but let something go wrong with your car, you pull it out. And it's kind of like, that's how people sometimes in their walk with God, they don't pull out the word until it's rescue 911. And I'm, I'm not saying God can't help you, but it's better to know him before you, come on. It's better to have a relationship. And see, what happens is where they stood, where, where he put the... The fire of God, death stopped. God stopped the death. And see, he had run the altar and grabbed the fire. Ordinary, it's ordinary people do, willing to do extraordinary things. You may say, well, but I'm just one person, Pastor Baba. You know, I've seen so many people die in my time of being a pastor. Through drugs, through suicide. Even in Jennings, they have the serial killer that's never been Found out we had a girl that used to go in our youth group. She was the seventh out of the eighth girl that was murdered. We have one of the girls in our church, her and her husband. Her sister was like the third girl that was murdered that are in our church. I could just go down the list. It's like a wound that's never been healed. So many people. I've seen people, like I talked about the one guy that suicide. We had another guy several a, a year ago that he took a shotgun and in in. His dad went to go wake him up, and he pulled the trigger in the middle of the night. And he went to go wake him up for work, and he was dead. And I'm just gonna be honest with you: the priest wouldn't do, the priest wouldn't do the funeral. So Josh and I, they called one of the family, Pastor Bubba, will you and Pastor Josh come? We went and we just ministered to the family. And out of that family, listen to me: most of those people come to our church now. Because see, some people write off, "Hey, if this happened, no, that's a no-no." 
But I know this, if you listen and you have compassion toward people and you love people for where they're at, God will move upon their hearts. Amen? Everybody wants, how many of you like to be listened to? Come on, all the wives need to be going, my husband don't listen to me, I want somebody to. People want compassion. People want to understand. You see, I've seen so many, and leadership drips from, you know, from, from the top down. And see, that's why we need pastors. That's why we need parents. That's why we need business leaders. God calling you to step up the lead. That's why we need teachers. That's why we need mamas that are being there sometimes. And sometimes both parents have to work, and I understand that. But when you have that time, you take that time. The thing I love about my wife, she talks to my children much more and knows their hearts. I was talking about something the other day, and she goes, you don't know that? I didn't know that guy liked Olivia, and Olivia liked that little boy. She's not in here. Oh, she is right there in the front. I was like, she goes, where you been? I'm like, clueless. But see, the Bible says in Romans 12, it says, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. And don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at me. How many of you got things that go through your mind that you don't want to tell nobody about? Come on. There's sometimes I've been reading my Bible and I have the most wicked, vile thoughts come through my mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why? Because it's to distract you. See, the enemy wants, you see, I, I, the one thing I learned about being a Christian, I can have thoughts that wander away from God and leave no room for God. That usually leads to sin or me doing something stupid. Or I can allow my thoughts to wander toward God, and he'll help me in my situations and my circumstances. And see, I, I know, there, there, there's, you know people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And see, you know, it's like I've learned this. I've got to, I can, I'm one of those kind of people, I've got to keep my mind focused because I can be, I have ADD, HD, high definition that I can be, dis, I can be just, just distracted. I can have a great conversation with my wife and I can go to one other thing. You say, where did that come from? I don't know, but it was, I'm going there. I've learned this. You can't chase two mice at one time if you're a cat. You got to figure out, I'm going after that one and leaving that one alone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. This is why people fall away. I see people, they have an emotional moment, and God loves to give emotions. Are you hearing me? But I see some people, they live their relationship from emotion to emotion or feeling or feeling. Kind of like Boston. More than a feeling. Come on. And so what happens is a lot of people are just living for a feeling rather than living for a commitment of love or see that something's bigger than yourself. I've been married for 33 years. There are times that I promise you that I haven't felt, I didn't feel love. I, I couldn't be motivated by my feelings. And I know I wake up and I go to bed with bad breath sometimes. And my wife, you know, go brush your teeth. My little girl goes, I pray for you. Go, Daddy, go brush your teeth. I can't live by emotions. How many are you talking about? How many of you have tried to do that? Live by your feelings. How many of you know your feelings aren't very good guides, are they? 
And see, sometimes people rise up that really believe they're willing to make a risk to make a difference. Can one person make a difference? I believe they can. I've seen too many people in our campuses, just one person, make a difference. You know, there's a guy, his name's Bill Wilson. I was in England a couple, about a month, two months ago speaking in the conference and churches. And he was there at one of the conferences with us, and he began to tell a story. And actually, if you know anything about Bill Wilson, he has the largest children's church in the world. Just in Brooklyn, they pick up 50,000 kids every morning and have sidewalk Sunday. In Kenya, that weekend that I was there, they had picked up 90,000 kids in Kenya. In the Philippines, they have over 100,000 kids that actually live in a graveyard in the, where they throw trash away. And in this graveyard, you can only be buried there no longer than five years, and they dig you up and they bury someone else. And there's trash and containers, and it's just it's a mess. And he talked about one lady that was from the Philippines, and she felt like God told her to go to Brooklyn to help with the children in Brooklyn. So you imagine, coming from that background, seems impossible. But she did. She worked. She saved. She got an airplane ticket, got her passport, ended up in Brooklyn. And one of the guys came to Bill Wilson one day and go, we can't use this lady. How come? She doesn't speak English. Well, that's a problem in America. So he came to her through an interpreter and he said, you can't work here till you learn English. And she said, okay, I'll learn English. So this is what she learned. She goes, through her broken English, she goes, Jesus love you. I love you too. So every day, when they have sidewalk Sunday, from Sunday to Sunday, they pick up little kids. She'd sit by kids, and she'd look at me and go, Jesus love you. I love you too. And then there was a little boy. They, they never heard him speak. That she got close to. And he'd sit on her lap. And every day they would pick him up to go to do sidewalks. And they'd pick him up. And she'd just hold him. And she'd go, Jesus love you. I love you too. Pick him up. Drop him off. And one day, after about six months... They're dropping this little boy, and no one's ever heard him talk. They didn't think he could talk. They're dropping him off. As they drop him off, he turns around, looks at her, and he puts his hands on her face. And he goes, Jesus loves you. I love you. And they dropped him off the bus. Stop. He went to his apartment. That night at 6 o'clock, his mother, on a drug-infested rage, killed him. Cut him up, put him in a trash bag, lowered him through the trash container into a container. But can I tell you something? That one lady made a difference. How do I know? Because when that little boy died, he saw the face behind the Jesus that little Filipino lady told him about. Don't tell me that people can't make a difference. 
I'm here because throughout years, 37 years of following Jesus, I've had people along the way. Even one man called me this week. This one of my pastors just speaking over me, encouraging me. You know, why is that? Because I believe people make a difference. Amen? I remember one of my friends came one time. He's from Africa. He said, Pastor Bubba, the difference between you and me is you've been pastored and I haven't. I've just tried to live this life by myself. And I know I need people in my life. I believe that one person can make a difference. It takes a while to figure out something. How many of you know that we don't have everything figured out? Okay. Anybody got it all figured out? Just raise your hand. Okay. Anybody? Okay. Okay. Let me ask you. How many of you have ever lied? How many of you have never lied? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. Let me just finish with this, and I'm done. We build generationally. It's leaving a legacy. That one day that I'll leave this earth. He said it's better to be with the Lord than here. Come on. We're, we're always constantly trying to stick around here. Come on. You know, one day, when I'm gone, it's all Zach's, Nathan's, Luke's, Olivia's, whatever. But whatever I say, whatever I do, how I live my life will be remembered. When my dad was in his coffin, I looked at him. And there was one thing that I remembered. I saw his hands. And I looked at his hands. He was 51 years old. And I just thought that thought, I said, those are the hands that corrected me. Those are the hands that directed me. Those are the hands that guided me. And I remember going, God, please put your hand on my life. Let there be people in my life that can be hands on. Let me ask you a question. How many of you need help? Come on, let's be honest. How many of you need help? Can I just be really honest with you? We all need help. And how you build generationally is you help others get what they need. And if you do that, God will help you get what you need if you're helping others. Amen? And let me just close it right here. Numbers says that, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. See what Moses and Aaron were willing to do. They were willing to step up and stand between life and death. Listen. Every day, you never know, there's life and death. There's actually a scripture that says every day that we live before life and death. But it, that point is the scripture, but I choose life. The Bible says this, the enemies come to rob, kill, and destroy. But God has come to give life. And it says, and more abundantly. That means, listen, I looked it up. It means God says this, I insist. This is what it really means. I insist that you learn to enjoy the life that I have for you. I insist that you know it. But sometimes we're so enamored by everything we're going through, we forget that God has a greater life for us. Amen?